Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind the scenes details and drama. I'll be joined by some special guests that'll be helping me share the real stories behind the most iconic moments in the show. So do not miss this special takeover of Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. By the end of this episode of Art of the Hustle, nearly 10,000 new malware variants will have launched. Now, AI can help protect your data from threats wherever it lives with IBM Security. Let's put smart to work. Learn more at ibm.com slash smart. You're listening to the Art of the Hustle, the podcast that breaks down how the world's most fascinating and successful people have hustled their way to the top. I'm your host, Jeff Rosenthal, co-founder of Summit and director of Summit Action Fund and the owner of Powder Mountain. Um, And today we have a very special guest on the show, the man behind many of the biggest names in hip-hop, co-president of Top Dog Entertainment, Mr. Dave Free. Dave has accomplished more by the age of 32 than most music executives accomplish in a lifetime. Yes, he is known as one of the men responsible for bringing Kendrick Lamar and his music to the masses. Uh, He also, along with TDE, has put out a tremendous catalog of artists from SZA to Schoolboy Q, J-Rock, and Azir Rashad. But he and his roster are doing things that no label has ever done in the space before. From winning Pulitzer Prizes to never-before-seen guerrilla marketing tactics to rethinking how live music should be packaged and experienced. Dave is a pioneer, a visionary, a businessman, and I'm fortunate to call him a friend. Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. And I must say, you have a amazing radio voice <laughs> oh, I appreciate that I appreciate that this is this is you know it's a new medium for me so I'm just getting into it that's dope um, well I was really excited to get you on the show because you and I have talked a couple of times about those initial moments and your story starts really young yeah um, I was uh, I was in ninth grade high school you know, having beat battles on the lunch tables at my, at my high school and here in LA, here in LA, Gardena High to be specific. Um, I, I always been into to music. My brother, he kind of got me into music. He was a producer, so he kind of like you know showed me the ropes of how to produce and different things like that, and kind of sparked that love. I always had a love for music, particularly like East Coast hip hop when I was super super young, and. You know, it was like, uh, it felt like something that I had to be a part of, you know. Totally. And you and Kendrick were in high school together. We didn't go to the same high school. He went to, it's actually like a rival type of high school. He went to Centennial High. I went to Gardena High. And it's funny because I grew up on the west side of L.A. 
And then I end up moving to the east side of L.A. And it was like, that's if anybody knows that type of scenario, it's two different worlds. You know, it's so close, but it's so far. We got introduced to a friend, and we just hit it off. It was just like brothers from another mother, you know? Yeah, from the beginning. And then you met Top at, like, 15 years old, correct? I met Top at, yeah, turning 16, I believe, at, at Watts Day. When Dave refers to Top, he's talking about Anthony Top Dog Tiffith, the CEO of Top Dog Entertainment. Top began his career as a record producer in the late 90s, making his name by producing tracks for big artists like The Game and Juvenile. And similar to Dave, he always had an ear for talent and was looking for the next big voice in hip-hop, just like he did when Dave came over to fix his laptop and the rest is history. They used to have this thing in Watts where it was like uh, Tyrese used to throw this thing uh, that he used to kind of give back to the city um, and like throw the free concerts called Watts Day and Top was there one day and I knew about him because uh, I have friends that like live right around the corner from him and I'll always try to catch up with him and that's kind of where I caught up with him. And was he already making music and, and Yeah, he was already involved in the music business. He was um, from a producing standpoint. He didn't really have any acts at the time, but he was uh cultivating talent at the time. And how did you get his attention? Uh just walked up to him and told him I was like, "Man, my name's Dave and I I do a lot of shit." <laughs> that's exactly what I said to him. <laughs> he was like, what do you do? I was like, a lot of shit. <laughs> Good. Good. Can we cuss on here? <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, no, we can, and we will. Okay. <laughs> um, and your first job for him was as a computer technician, correct? It wasn't for him as a computer technician. I worked for the Los Angeles Unified School District as a computer technician. You were actually a computer technician. I was actually a computer technician, yeah. System support analyst for the Los Angeles Unified School District, District 8 to be exact. And... Uh, that's how I kind of got his attention. But during that time period, I wasn't a technician when I met him. And I was just a young kid in school, and I knew a lot about computers and technology at the time, yeah. And I'm trying to pull this out of you because I remember this story. You did go and chop up his computer. I definitely chopped meeting, up his right? computer because after I told him uh, I know how to do a lot of shit, he was like, well, okay, cool, give me a number. And he uh, he called me up one day. He was like, I got a laptop you know, that I need some working on. And I had Kendrick's demo tape. And I was like, cool, I'm going to work on your laptop, but I need you to listen to this demo tape while I work on your laptop. And he was like, cool, let's do it. So I came to his house and, you know, came in a room and he gave me the laptop and I gave him the CD. He put the CD in, he started listening. And I took that laptop apart so slowly so he can get through every single song yeah. uh, of Kendrick's, you know what I mean, while I was working on it. And... I didn't even know what I was doing. I didn't work on laptops. I was more of a software guy. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know anything about hardware, and especially about you know opening up a laptop. But it was the thing that got me in front of him at the time. So, Unbelievable. Yeah. And that was it. And that was the start. That was the start. Yeah, that was the start. Um, I didn't fix his computer, but I did you know put him up on some music that was dope. So. And then I, I, my brother was still in the mix at the time. I introduced them, and we started using the studio, and then yeah. Murder, She Wrote. And here we are, 2018, and it's Grammys and Oscars and Pulitzers. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, amazing. And did, you, and did you guys already, like, when you look back or listen back on the music that you were already making, did Kendrick already have it? Was the production already Kendrick different? Kendrick already had it. it I tell yeah. people this all the time. The first, the first rap I heard from him, um, I couldn't recite it, but if I heard it, I would remember every, every lyric. He had an ability to put together words at such a young age. And, like, we were talking about stuff like glorifying, gangbanging, and drug dealing and all that different things. But 
just the way he did it was different. You know what I mean? It was just so different because that was like the hip hop of our time period. It was mm -hmm. really, it was mainly about that. Like our idols was Jay Z, you know, Tupac, uh, Biggie. Um, DJ Quick, Snoop Dogg, like that was our idols at the time. So it was really about you know us mimicking that type of sound and that type of uh, that type of culture. And he just the way he did it, it was like he was a West Coast dude, but he had East Coast you know lyrical ability. Mm -hmm. And I heard it from the first time. It was three guys. It was um, my boy Antonio, D Moses, and and Kendrick. And I met Antonio, and Antonio introduced me to Kendrick. He literally told me like this. He like if you like me, you'll love Kendrick. I had him come to my uh, my mom's house. I had like a makeshift studio in my room, and it really wasn't even really a studio. It was just a bunch of equipment that I just plugged together to look important. Nice. And um, he came through, and I remember he just got on the mic and he started rapping, and it was just like, man, this dude, like, he was so much better than the other guys. It was crazy. He was like so much ahead of them, but they were in a group at the time. They wanted to be in a group because like group was a thing back mm -hmm. then, and. Um, you know, I was just like, at all, by him, I was like, man, you're the one. You know, and I just knew it the first time I heard him. And I love that you and Kendrick at the same time kind of folded into TDE and have this rich history, this family vibe that I've always gotten from you guys that is totally unique and singular, you know? like, um, And so take me back a little bit, you know? So this is like early days, you're making music, you have the company, you're in like the startup phase. Well, prior to uh, being from TDA, it was like me, Kendrick, and my brother. And it was yeah. like about four years of that, of just like grinding and, you know what I mean, and developing this sound. This is like kind of before we met Top. We we did like a mixtape and we were just working. Like, I remember it was crazy. We uh we would come home like every night at 4 a.m. and then have to be up at 7 a.m. to go to school. <laughs> High school. <laughs> High school. Like going to the craziest neighborhoods, like to record. My brother lived in like a really crazy neighborhood in LA. And we would like, man, we would sneak into this neighborhood because we weren't from that side of town. So we really wasn't supposed to be over there. And we would like sneak in and out of this neighborhood countless nights just to go record, just to do music. And like looking back on it now, it's like that's something I would probably would never do. But yeah. when you're so young and you're so passionate, you just want to be, you just want to be where the music's at. When Dave recollects just how crazy it was for he and Kendrick to be going through those various neighborhoods in the late 90s, early 2000s to record their music, he's referring to the gang violence and turf wars and craziness occurring in South Central LA and all over LA, frankly, during that time period. In the areas Dave mentioned, such as Condon, Inglewood, Watts, it was not a stretch by any means to say that they were putting themselves in danger to go and record their music. We developed the sound and we always had to record like at my mom's garage or my brother's house and it was never like a, a stable recording scenario. Mm -hmm. And a buddy of mine, Duran, told me about a top in his neighborhood. He was like, Yeah, I seen Juvenile. It was a rapper named Juvenile from North. Yeah. And I'm he, from Texas, so that was like our that was our Elvis. Yeah, and Juvenile was big for us. Like that was super big. He was like, Yeah, top man, top I seen Juvenile, Top's house. He be recording over the other studio on the back. And then that's when I went, Oh, yeah, we gotta find this dude, like, you know. Mm -hmm. And because uh, he was he was near, I lived in Inglewood at the time. Well, not at the time when we started recording. I moved to Carson when I was about twelve years old. I lived in Inglewood up until I was twelve, then I moved to Carson. And Kendrick lived in Compton, and my parents moved to the suburb, which they thought it was a suburb. It was a suburb, but it was like we thought it was better than Inglewood, but it really wasn't. It was like the same, <laughs> and we had a nice. At least I had my own room. You know? Yeah, <laughs> and that yeah. was the best thing about it. Yeah, and then I, I was able to get in that circle of uh, all those guys that knew Kendrick, and then that's how I met Kendrick, and then you know took him over there. 
yeah. the top. Yeah. And so when you were learning the business at that point, like you, you've always crossed over, whether it's directing videos or working with the artists themselves to like being, you know, heavily involved, obviously, in all the business aspects of what you guys have grown and built. At that early stage, were you doing that already? Were you already kind of a foot in both or, or what were you spending your time on? I was more spending my time on producing. I came in producing more so. Mm-hmm. My brother taught me, like he, he gave me full access and to to all this production equipment. He had a lot of equipment. So I came in on the producing tip. I produced like pretty much half of Kendrick's first mixtape. And then it went from producing to DJing because DJing was like kind of paying the bills for me at the time. Like I lived with my parents, but my dad was very stern. You, you know, when you live in this house, you, you bring revenue into the house to help the house. So mm-hmm. it was always that kind of conversation. And I would DJ to help like bring money into the house and money for myself so I can go do different things. That's how I initially came in. As a DJ, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I knew that I wanted to be in the music business, but I, I really didn't know. It was one of those things where I actually wanted to be, like, an artist. I was more like Young Puff at mm-hmm. the time. Like, you know, I wanted to be on a song and yeah. wanted to rap and, and didn't couldn't rap for anything, but wanted to be in, in that world. And, um, you know, just as of growing up, I started realizing I was more powerful behind the scenes. When Dave talks about Young Puff, he's referring to Sean Puffy Combs, who in the early days was both managing Notorious B.I.G., running Bad Boy Records, and also appearing in the videos and recording his own tracks as a manager, producer, artist, everything. And there's very few people that can do both. And it's really incredible to me how much self-awareness Dave had to know that he couldn't do both at the time. He wanted to be an artist and still sees himself that way. But he knew that he could push Kendrick and others further by focusing full-time on the business aspects of the game. But I, I could say probably, like, DJing was, like, the first realm of it. Then videography would start to become a passion for me because it was like, hey, nobody would do videos for us. So it's like, you know, got to pick up a camera, got to do it yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And were there some, like, seminal moments for you that you remember where you realized that you needed to become sophisticated in business and understand this stuff uh yeah it was uh i forget what manager it was it had to be either i think it was cortez bryant lil wayne's manager it had to be him um because every time i think about the story his he comes up but i remember i went up to somebody and i was like hey i got this artist k dot you went by k dot at the time so i got this artist k dot no, I said I was his manager. I was like, this is, I manage this guy. Just, I'm, he was like, nah, that's not your artist. I was like, what do you mean? He was like, that's your friend. He was like, you're not a manager until you have something to manage. It really stuck with me. It, hit, it hurt me, but at the same time, it stuck with me because it, it meant a lot. It meant like, don't focus on the business side until you need to. It was like, focus on the music that creates the opportunity that gets you to focus on the business side. So I would think that was my first like experience into knowing what I needed to grow into. Totally. You know, I was just calling myself things. I, you know, I'm the DJ, I'm the manager, I'm the president. I'm, you know, it wasn't until I started developing those skills and having to have those conversations and being in those conversations and probably saying the wrong thing and, like, kind of learning from my mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know, that's sharpened that still when it's like you start hearing the same terms over and over again. It's like, oh, okay, I'm starting to understand now. I'm starting to understand what they mean by when they say this. Or I remember some one time a guy asked me, "What's your writer?" And I didn't know what the hell he was talking about. What, I didn't know. I didn't want to ask him like, "What do you mean? What's my writer?" You know. And he was like, "Your writer? You don't know what a writer is?" I'm like, "No, nah, I don't. Uh, I, I, I got a jeep. I got a jeep. <laughs> you know, I didn't know what to say. Girlfriend? Uh. <laughs> yeah, girlfriend. Yeah. But uh, yeah, over time, uh, you just start kind of picking up. But that was probably like my first clue into like damn you gotta like you know you have to grow into that space it sounds like you were always comfortable 
almost failing forward in a sense, though. Like, you, I know you were getting a lot of it right, too, but, like, the stories that you're telling are points where you're like, I would screw up or I would take apart the computer and not put it back together. 100% failure. Like, whatever. Yeah. Failure creating opportunity, you know, and just making you a lot more smarter in the situations. I've always kind of been fearless in that standpoint. I never want to act like I know something I don't. And I used to try I used to try to do that, but then once you start getting around people that know you don't know, it's kinda of hard to fake it. Uh-huh. So you kinda of gotta start asking questions and that's when I start, you know, being a student more than a leader. Well try to be a student more than a leader, you know, shutting my mouth and opening my ears. Which makes you a better leader. A hundred percent. Yeah, the scary thing now is when I feel like when I'm around people that know a lot more than I do and then they don't tell you. Yeah. <laughs> so they'll let you they'll let you spill what you have on it and be like, Oh, that's nice. Yeah. And sometimes you gotta do that too, so people can I think that's a form of learning too. It's a lot of times that I felt like I knew too much and you kinda got fall, you know, on your face and then you that's what opens those ears a lot more. Mm. You know? Well, I mean, this this last two years for you guys has been insane. And I mean the whole path, it's the the timeline is it feels like an institution TDE and like you have so many artists now that are so world renowned. And I remember when SZA was still recording with you and you were trying to get the album out and you already knew that this was an artist that was going to be what we see today. Mm-hmm. How do you maintain creativity in your work? Like I know that there's a big family atmosphere and I'm sure a lot of it has to do with taste, but it's one of the things that I'm inspired by the most when I look at TDE. It blows me away that you put out such incredible work. Mm-hmm. You continue to and it's getting better. Yeah. Which is which is what, you know, we can aspire to. Yes, yeah, uh, a high standard. We have very high standards on Quality. We believe that uh, you take your time and you present the best quality and you don't have to work hard. You don't have to work, you know, as hard as all the other people make it seem like you do. You do have to work hard. It's a, it's a lot of hard work that goes into it, but it's better than just like pedaling against the current and just trying to keep up. It was a lot of time that we did that, that plan of like trying to keep up and doing what everybody said, make this single, make this song. You come and make this song and then you, they tell you to make this song and then when you deliver that song, you know, you're three months too late. It's a new song you have to make. And it wasn't until... It's like label strategy for your artists, essentially. Yeah, and just like watching what other people are doing and, you know, you get influenced by that a lot of times and... I think it was the point where we, you know, start turning off everything else, like turn off the radio, turn off the TV, turn off all all these devices that, you know, that poured into you and just start kind of following our own voice in a sense. And I think that that kind of changed the scenario for us a ton. Well, I know it changed the scenario for us a ton because we start speaking from our own voice. And then you start realizing, too, it's like repetition is key. You have to you have to be relentless and you have to do it. 20 times to make it perfect once and the time you take to like slow down and just realize okay cool this first one was practice the second one was practice the third one was practice the fourth one was practice and the fifth one was good and I could put it out right now but if I keep practicing I I practiced this long and it got to this point where I feel like I should put it out but maybe I should go five more times yeah and then that was that concept of like sharpening your tools you know just keep sharpening them sharpening them sharpening them until you know, you drop a paper on it and it cuts right through. This is Serena's serve or Stephen Curry's three-pointer. Exactly. I feel like every successful person has something in common. They, they're relentless in their ability to continue to sharpen their tools. You know what I mean? And you have to have some type of story, too. Like, there's no—I don't think is anyone great without a story. So I feel like you kind of have to go through those up and downs, and those up and downs kind of make you who you are. 
that personality, it sharpens that personality. And then next thing you know, you're doing an interview with you. (laughs) And I want to ask more about you personally and how you do that day to day. But I'm so I'm so fascinated by this concept. Like I I was re-listening to some of the most recent like Kendrick J Rock says the albums on the way over here. Mm -hmm. And it's a unique idea. And it's beautiful and it's enlightened. And the music's great, and the content of the of the poetry is like next level. It's like, and so I totally acknowledge and recognize what you're talking about, where like you've created the dojo, or like the sound, or the vibe, or you know the set of principles that has allowed your artist to continue to create at this level. Mm-hmm. Um, you ever have people that are like remarkably talented but don't really fit the culture? Yeah, there's always scenarios like that. I mean, I was on the phone with somebody today that's super talented and. They fit in the culture of what we do, but it's hard to recreate the same thing. And I think that's, you know, what people want a lot of the time from brands. And I think we we focused on kind of letting the artists be themselves and letting them develop in time. And I think that kind of what sets us apart from a lot of different labels, a lot of different people, is how much time we give the artists to develop. I think the development stages have been stripped away from a lot of artists. It's so much focused on fame and fortune and popping right now. And a lot of times you have to forego, you know, right now, the present time for the future. And you have to have that insight to do that. And a lot of artists that come into the fold have to compete with what we already did, too. So it's like when you're coming in, that's a a crazy amount of pressure. But for us, we're not going to put that on you. You know, you're going to you're going to experience that yourself and then you're going to have to like work through it. But we're not going to give you this mandate to be like, you have to do it by this date. You know what I mean? It's like do it in your time. And a lot of times, too, just even like the type of artists that we we approach and that we go after. We try to find people that have talent and hard work because it really does take both. I know a lot of artists that are super talented, but they don't work hard enough, you know, and they can get on any song and make it great, but they don't work hard enough to do it consistently enough to get to break through. So it's, it is a combination of uh, hard work and talent. I would always, you know, say I would hang my hat on an artist that works harder versus artist that's, that's talent. I try to find both, but if I had to settle for artists, I was just super, super hardworking, I would go over, go for that versus ours that's talented because you're going to develop those skills with, with repetition, mm-hmm. you know, over time. And you might not be the one that can just come in and drop on a drop of a dime. It might take you two weeks to do it, but you're going to still deliver and you're going to be dedicated to it and you're going to appreciate it 10 times more because how dedicated you were versus a person that's just like so skilled that they don't have any appreciation for their skill. It's just like, oh, God bless me with this so I can do it. And they don't appreciate it. They don't want to work hard to make it better, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, we have to take a quick ad break. We're here with Dave Free. We'll be right back. It's the Art of the Hustle. This message comes from Art of the Hustle sponsor, IBM. IBM is working with clients to put smart to work and bring progress to everyone. Together with IBM, experts are putting smart to work to help save species increase crop yields, and make progress. Not just for a few of us, for all of us. Because while technology has never been smarter, smart only matters when you put it to work where it matters. Let's put smart to work. Find out how at ibm.com smart. Welcome back to the Art of the Hustle with Dave Free, co-president of TDE. Thank you for being here. Um, you know, you were talking about artists and, and the artists you work with and sharpening the sword and doing it through repetition. How, how do you do that? How do you manage yourself these days? 
Um, I think uh, the ability to to do more than one job in, in a space, I think that keeps me sharper than the most because, uh, you know, I'm just not the guy that's like one-dimensional. I'm not going to do one job. I'm going to do 20 different jobs. Every single job in TD I've had. I carry bags. I've walked around with the artists and managed them day to day. I've built production for shows. I've created the merch. I've, you know, did accounting. Mm-hmm. Even to this day, like we have a super, super small office, um, super, super small team on a day to day basis. I mean, we probably have like seven or eight people in the office on a day to day basis. How yeah. many people are now at TDE full time? Full time? I would say 10 full-time employees. That's great. So yeah. you guys keep it pretty it's intimate. Small. Yeah. It's very small. My, the, uh, our office is my old condo. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, it's 2,000 square feet, and there's two offices in there. Dope. Yeah, so, and it's more of a creative space. Um, it's, we're looking for a bigger space now. We're looking for, you know, 20,000 square feet space now, yeah. um, just so we can house everything. And do you see new artists as like new is it is it almost like a startup is it like you know it takes for me when it's like you know i think about starting a new company it's like okay it takes one to three years you're going to hire an executive team you're going to structure you know the business you're going to figure out you know the unit economics or however the business works how you make money Mm -hmm. um you know like doing branding building a website all these things just like it doesn't matter if it's you know small large whatever Mm -hmm. um do you now have kind of like a roadmap for new artists like that we have a structure, but in the music business, um, I think the best thing to be is nimble. Um, when you get too locked into a structure, you tend to get dust on you and you get old because everything's forever changing. Like the rules change so much, even with streaming within the last few years. I, I, I did an interview, um, and the main topic of the interview was, you know, not getting locked into old ways and trying to be, you know, trying not to think that just because this, this work for this artist is going to work for the next because it doesn't work that way. And even like trying to call in your fan base even too. sometimes, you know, like they might like this artist. They might not like this other artist, or, but they but there, and there's some that might like this other artist but not, might not like the, the main artist you thought. So I think it's a uh, it's really based on. um the ability to be nimble and to be open to new ideas and new ways of doing things. And I tell my guys all the time, challenge me. You know what I mean? Like, to this day, my my, my main quote is I'll take information from a three-year-old. If a three-year-old has the key, I remember a three-year-old came up to me and he was like, yo, your shoes are whack. And I was like, wait, what the hell? <laughs> You're three, you know what I mean? And... Uh, and I didn't wear the shoes anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, of course. <laughs> I didn't wear the shoes Retired. anymore. I, I, in the moment, I felt like, uh, hmm, I'm not listening to this kid. But then when I got home and I looked at him, I was like, he, that was honesty. And he didn't have, you know, when kids are so, you know, so young, they, that's the truth. Like, you yeah. know, they're, not, they're just saying how they feel. So it wasn't from a mean place. It was just he was an honest kid. And, and I think that was like a life lesson for me when it came to the music business. It was like you can get information from anyone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if your ears are open, you know, if your ears are closed, you can't. You know? I've also read that you guys encourage your artists to give real critique 100%. to like the new albums that you guys. Is that something that you do? Do you like bring everybody in? We bring and play everybody it in, play it. It used to be when we first started, it was like people were, you know, we don't want, you know, artists are sensitive. So you don't want to like, you don't want to critique to the point where you hurt. But you want to be honest. And I think that's the key is, you know, complete honesty. So we would bring all the artists in and we say, nobody has to write their name on this pad, but we're going to pass this pad around and everybody's going to vote on this song. And then the votes would, would be 
the thing. But now we got to a point where we all know each other so well. You can write your name on the pad and you can say, this is what I hate, this is what I don't like. And we've had, man, we've had some brutal meetings, man. I'm talking about brutal, brutal, brutal meetings. Because I've always, like, I was I was one that was always going to speak honestly. So it's uh-huh. like you have to teach people that, too, because some people don't think they can be honest. Some people are like, if this is an artist's craft, then they should be able to do whatever they want to do creatively. And I feel that way, too. I definitely feel that way. But I feel that way for a person that's going to, for an artist that's going to be making music in his home and not trying to put it out to a world that's going to critique you because that's what's going to happen. You're going to put it out to the world and they're going to critique you. So if you can't take critique from your brother and the person that's right next to you, then why do you want to put it out to the world and have them critique you? You know, so I think... uh, it's really important for the people around you to be completely honest. And whenever I get around people, you know, I gauge it. You know, if I can't be completely honest, I won't say anything. Mm-hmm. And and if I and but in most scenarios, if you ask me for my opinion, I have to give you the truth because I don't want to lead you down the wrong path. I don't want to be the guy that says, you know, man, that was weak. And then they're like, well, you didn't tell me when when, when I fucking played it for you. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm gonna tell you. From the jump, and there's been times I've been completely wrong too. It's been I outvoted on things and different things, or had opinions about songs that I was completely wrong. I'm I'm cool with that. I'm cool with being wrong too. So it just comes with the territory. This idea of radical transparency or radical candor that Dave practices religiously at TDE, it draws connections to people like Ray Dalio and what he preaches about in his book Principles and how he manages culture at Bridgewater Capital, the largest hedge fund in the world. He's he's using the same practices that are used at Google and Facebook and that you know Kim Scott wrote about in the book Radical Candor. But he's bringing this methodology to the business of hip hop, which is totally unheard of, you know, really bringing the principles of art to the artists. And it's rare and it shows his incredible maturity and poise as a business person and future leader. You know, even with videos, like I'm in this space too, where it's, where it's directly connected with the artists. I can make a video for artists. I've definitely spent hundreds of thousand dollars on videos. Well, we as a company spent hundred thousand dollars on videos yeah. and, and it was my concept and it was whack. Hmm. And I had to hear, I had to take that. Yeah. And it and I spent my time, my energy on it. I thought it was probably the best thing in the world. And everybody was like, no, nah, that's whack. And then guess what? It doesn't come out. Hmm. So I have to take it too, even from a higher standpoint. So when you're a new artist, you got to take it too. We all have to be in that position where we take it. If you can't handle that, then you're in the wrong business. Yeah. And uh, I love uh, learning through osmosis. Mm-hmm. If you can be around brilliant people and be around people that have something special, you mm-hmm. don't even really have to think about it. You can just learn from seeing exactly. seeing your crew and like you know getting to experience TD when y'all came out to the mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's humble. Everybody. And um, then you've made a song about it, mm-hmm. and it seems like it's a core mantra, first principle. Man, a hundred percent. I think uh, we all come from very humbling lifestyles and families. And, you know, we're appreciative to be in these positions and we don't take it for granted. We know this is a blessing. And if you don't treat a blessing like a blessing, you lose it. So we try to just stay grounded, stay, you know, take it one one day at a time and just be appreciative of uh, of being able to have, you know, positive, great people around you and that, that instill into you and put into you and help you grow as humans, you know, not just in business and wealth, you know, mentally. Um, physically, you know, like we, we, we get together and we, we work out together, a lot of us, and just build each other up, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because, you know, sound body, sound mind, you know, you can you can do a lot of great things. And, and the concept is still to this day, it's like 
I never want to be the smartest person in the room. Like, I never want to be the smartest person in the room. And I don't think anybody in our team wants to be the smartest person in the room. I think everybody wants to be in rooms that help them be, become better, help them learn something, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I would say that, like, the centers of power in this town and your business, humble wouldn't be the first, you know, superlative I would use to describe mm-hmm. that culture. And then even, you know, modern hip-hop culture outside of your crew, it's not something that you're hearing a lot. Nah, know? not at all. Do you um, think that that's something that could, that, that it, do you see other people sort of taking that on? Do you think it's something that could become a cultural? Yeah, I think uh, I think now I think more people are are really waking up and starting to understand you got, it's all about helping each other as humans. Mm-hmm. Even for me, like this year was a crazy year for me, just mentally, you know, I, I, I got a lot of success, but mentally I wasn't where I wanted to be. And I had to reset and during that time period of resetting, I've been seeing like a lot of like signs that I'm on the right path. And it's been coming from a lot of people around me that are not in my direct circle, but it's like they see the difference. They see the difference in my energy. They see the difference in my tone. I'm a very uh, relentless person when it comes to business and achieving um, on on every level. I don't want to be last at anything that I do. I'm very competitive. I'm very aggressive about that. And I had to like switch gears and, you know, slow down and because I am humble, but it's rooted in wanting to like leave something on history's mark. You know what I mean? Sure. Like I want to be able to like write my name in that concrete and it stay, it stick around for a long time. And that has a kind of ego piece of it. You know what I mean? But it's just in different ways. It might not be bragging and boasting. It might just be like shining a trophy at home when nobody's watching. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and that's not <laughs> something you should be doing too because you could be living in the past. And I had to learn, like, you know, it's, it is about the present. It's about doing things, focusing on the future, but making sure that you don't you don't, you don't don't negate the present. You yeah. Know? What got you here won't get you there. Exactly. Yeah, man. Yeah. So now here we are into 2018. Uh, today there was some big news, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you had some nominations for some Oscars and some Grammys. Yeah, some some big news today, <laughs> man. My phone was a very exciting morning for sure. Yeah, uh, and what? And tell us, tell us what happened. Uh, just nominations, Grammy nominations. Kendrick's in the lead uh, for the Grammy nominations, but you know, it's not about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I, I appreciate I appreciate any uh, any type of recognition that we can get for what we do but man it's it's really about the people it's about like changing the people helping the people that's what we do it for when mm. we get the when we get the accolades i think that's a piece that comes with just being great but it's not the main piece yeah. at all for us not at all and it's very obvious to anybody that's ever come across you guys it's about the the art and the impact not about you know the trophy case yeah the trophy uh, case man it's that's you know it's a, it ha, you get that moment like it's such a momentary thing for me, especially for me. The way I look at it, it's like it's I want to win everything. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna front act like I don't want to win everything, but I think it does it does more for the moment than it does for yourself for the long run. I think that that fan or that person that comes to you and tell you that you helped them through something or you inspire them. I had a guy tell me at the gym today. This dude was older than me, and he was like, "Bro, you inspire me," and that's more important than any trophy that I can get because. That helps me get up in the morning and want to do more, you mm-hmm. know, and want to do more like, damn, okay, cool. If I can inspire him, I wonder how many other people I can touch, you know? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, you inspire me for thank sure. Thank you, man. Thank I mean, you. When, I appreciate when, that. For, you inspire me too. Thank you. I yeah. appreciate it. When, I, when they told me that they're interested in having me host this show, 
it didn't take me long. I was like, man, Dave and the TDE story and just Fire. like the way I'll go. And, and I don't think if, unless you're an entrepreneur, you don't really know what it's like to, to have to stand all this stuff up from scratch, Amen. you know? And yeah. I think a lot of really talented organizations can take something that has been stood up. People can help, you know, take it from 10 to a hundred, but one to 10, man, like that. Man. And so here we are about to hit new year. What do you, what do you see for TDE? Like what's the ambition? What, what, and for yourself, man, it's a, uh, I'm in a time period right now where I see our influence. It's inspiring people to, to, to follow our path and even, you know, try to take it to the next level and next step. So I think it's about us really moving into spaces that we haven't been into, like investment spaces and just things that people don't usually expect. So my whole brain has been like trying to figure out what is that? What is that concept? Like, you know, it's, it's one thing to continue to be great in your space, but I want to be great in our space and in, in other spaces. I want to move into other spaces you know, a ton more. So for me, it's like, what is that concept? And I've been wrecking my brain trying to figure it out, man, trying to figure it out for sure. For me in particular, I know film and directing for me is like, it's a way that takes me off of the books and off of the numbers and helps me focus on like just creating. Cause I like to create, I like to be in a creative space and sometimes the numbers and the books and the meetings and it can kind of take you out of that zone. Mm -hmm. So I want to balance that out more so for myself is really like how can I do both and have more time to do both and still and where it doesn't hurt anything it just still helps it and how do I how do I uplift the guys that are around me and the guys that 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 uh that are that that pay attention to what I'm doing and try to like mimic it how do I tell them don't mimic it you know take my concept you see it but make it better you know, you can't reinvent the wheel, but you could damn sure make it faster, lighter, mm. you know what I mean, stronger. You can you can do that. So that's really where I'm at mentally. It's like, how do I inspire the people around me so I can get the more free time to to get more in a creative zone um, and develop that part for me? Because I feel like I, I've done some creative things, but I'm nowhere near my capabilities for sure. Yeah. Dope. And in terms of, you know, the business and the, and the, and both the artists and TDE and, um, you know, one of the things that we went through also we're 10 years old, you know, so, uh, y'all, you've been around a little bit longer, correct? When, mm -hmm. did, when did TDE start? TDE started, uh, it started before I was actually there. Um, but it wasn't developed, uh, at that time, it was like they uh, top just signed J Rock. It was yeah. like his first art. He signed J Rock. But literally, since y'all have been in high school, you've been doing this. I exactly. Mean, we, we 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 started when we were like right out of college, yeah. and the family got us really far, and having like family vibes got us really far. And then at some point, you know, like we really need to become a team. You know, mm -hmm. we need to have team accountability, not family accountability. Uh, you know, I love my family unconditionally. I shouldn't, you know, do that with a team member or mm -hmm. somebody I work with because if we're not all you know, like A is higher A's and B is higher C's. Like mm -hmm. I, I like being on excellent teams, right? Mm -hmm. And that drives my capacity higher and higher. So is that something that you guys, you know, think about or something that no, you thought about? It definitely is. And, you know, you deal with that when you're in the business and you do work with so many family members, you know what I mean? Because we are family, even though we're not blood family, you know, we care about each other in that way. So it is about like, even even in our system, we do have people that are, not so much family that we have to hire outside because we have to create those parallels because you can't have those people right in the middle of the business mm -hmm. because there's going to be conflict of interest in that in that form. So there's ways where we have to do that right in this current moment. And, for example, my brother used to be 
he's 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 Kendrick Lamar's music director, um, along along with Tony Russell, um, and uh, he was the drummer. And you know he's older, so he wasn't the best drummer. And it was like that conversation was a hard conversation. You know what I mean? To really like because he wasn't the, he was a music director, and it was like yo, you have to give up. You know, having that conversation, you have to I have to find somebody that can be that person that can drum. You know, for the artist on the correct standard and that conversation was hard but you have to have those things and you have to put people in other places where they can grow and he he grew into a a, a, a wonderful music director to the point where he un- he didn't understand it at first but he understands it now clearly mm-hmm. because we have a better drummer in there and it's yeah. night and day you know what I mean so you have to have those conversations and you have to grow and yeah it's getting it's getting to that point because we have to scale to a point where you know we have less family and more, you know, more people that's that's coming to try to pour that fuel on the fire. You yeah, know? man. And do you look now? I mean, I know it's part of the part of the principles is is keeping the blinders on for your own creativity. Do you have external things that that you look at for inspiration, or there there's specific, you know, fields or artists or people either historically or now that everyone, everything. everyone, everything. I mean, this yeah. last year has been. I've consumed more content and more information in 2018 than I have my whole life. Mm. And once you do something so good, it can get boring. And I don't want to get bored. Mm. I don't like getting bored. I like to be challenged. I like to challenge myself. So for me, it's like any any idea. I was on TED Talk the other day, and it was a guy that was, uh, he's been liked up. I forget his name. Man, I hate that I'm forgetting his name right now. But he's been liked up pretty much since I think he was like 17. And he's a uh, he trades stocks <laughs> from jail. Yeah, and he's like really, really good at it. Yeah, you know, a lot of time to con- contemplate the market. Exactly, he has so much time. And I, I looked at his TED talk, and it, he was just talking about how he's literally read every single article for the last like fifteen years mm-hmm. in jail. He's been reading every article about stocks, so he understands when people are moving off of emotion versus like what's actually happening in the marketplace. And, like, my mind was never open like that two years ago. If somebody would have sent me that in a text, I would have been like, I'm not paying attention to this. You know, I'm, I'm, out, I'm, on, I'm on outside. Mm-hmm. But, um, I'm, man, I'm so, I'm so open to information from any source. Like, I tell people all the time, man, if you, if you know me, you know a text message about something I didn't know about is, that's like ice cream to me. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I want more so than than anything else, you know? Yeah, that you can get excited about it, that you're into. Yeah. Well, you're clearly a voracious learner in every discipline that you can get your hands or your mind on. Everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I know so much frivolous shit. It's crazy. Like, <laughs> I know so much stuff that yeah. doesn't apply to anything and that even would benefit you in life, but it's like, I just want to know so much, man. I feel like knowledge, like, I, I, was telling, uh, I was telling Kendrick the other day, I was like, man, it's crazy. When they used to say knowledge of power in school, I didn't believe them, you know. But, oh, my God, I believe it now, you know. I, I so believe it now. I, I believe as much information as you can get, you can make so many decisions just by having information. And it's like you have to go seek it. You have to go ask questions. A buddy of mine, is he he's, he's going into a, biz, a business venture. He was like, yeah, I'm about to start. I'm about to do this investment, and, and I'm about to move. And I'm like, don't move quick. Like, you know, like, you know, I think people say, Procrastination, like people underestimate procrastination. I think procrastination can be a good thing sometimes. It it could be an indicator that you're not ready to do something and you need more information before you make that step. And I, I believe in, 
you know, failing too, but I believe in taking your best shot to win before you fail too. So um, I just told him like, man, he was like, oh, I got to do this. I got to do this. I'm like, well, go get the information. Well, I, I got I need to put the down payment because people are jumping on it. And I said, if people are jumping on it, if it's a gold rush, it might not be for you. You got to, you have to go get the information. You need to call. You need to go spend an hour. You know, you'd be surprised if you just took an hour out of your day, like to, actively look up the information that you're looking for that for something how it could change your decision yeah. you know what i mean but some people just they just they react off impulse versus you know research and um for me man i won't do anything man i won't <laughs> i won't do anything without research at this point in my life ever like i'm a i'm gonna go research as much as humanly possible then make the decision I love that. Yeah. Well, this is real wisdom, man. And I really appreciate you being here and sharing with us. And I know you don't do a lot of these. And um, I mean, throughout this entire interview, I think there's a tremendous amount of real knowledge and wisdom and experience for people that are on their path and on the come up. Anything, just any closing, closing uh, wisdom or principles or things that you're going to be thinking about tomorrow? Closing wisdom, man, you can get information from a three-year-old. Like. That's the best advice I can give anybody, man. The shoes is ugly, man. That 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 little kid changed my life. He really did when he told me that. So, and I tell that to anybody like be open, be open to be wrong, be open to receive information, be open to close that mouth, open those ears, and it will change your life. And it doesn't have to change it financially all the time. Sometimes just having enough information can quiet the mind. And sometimes we just need that. We just need to quiet the mind a little bit, you know? Amazing. Well, thank you, Dave. Really appreciate you being here. Most definitely. Yeah. I appreciate you having me. Of course. Yes, sir. All anytime. Right. Anytime you need me, I'm there. <laughs> I'll, I'll take you up on it. <laughs> For sure, man. You know that. All right, brother. All right. As always, I jot down the things that, you know, I immediately take away from these conversations that really stuck out to me. And, uh, you know, I love that Dave is such a humble guy. You know, I know that it comes across when you hear him talk about the things that they've built and the ease in which he holds himself. But, you know, I really do look up to the guy. And there aren't many other people in our generation that have just built so much so fast and such high quality. Clearly, Dave knew talent when he heard it. When he heard Kendrick for the first time, he didn't stop. He didn't, he didn't wait. He didn't think about who else was out there. He made moves immediately, and they, they never looked back. And of course, the three-year-old that told Dave his shoes are ugly. I'm curious what kind of shoes he had on, first of all, because generally the man has very nice sneaker taste. And uh, two, more importantly, is that you really can learn something from anyone. You know, every single person, if you're listening the right way, has something to teach you uh, that has a different perspective on whatever problem you're going through. And clearly that's something that's really important to him. Closing his mouth, opening his ears, changing his life. Dave Free, somebody that you can really learn from. This has been The Art of the Hustle, a collaboration between WeWork and iHeartMedia. If you like the show or have thoughts on who we should interview next, hit us up on Facebook or Twitter. And if you really like the show, do us a favor and leave us a review here or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. 
like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind-the-scenes details and drama. I'll be joined by some special guests that'll be helping me share the real stories behind the most iconic moments in the show. So do not miss this special takeover of Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.